Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm Rabbi Daniel Goldfarb again from the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. And today we are on page 3, Daf Gimel, of the Tractate of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, as we noted, the opening paragraph of the first parak that was in yesterday, page 2, uh, is discussed for a full 15 pages. This Mishnah does not even give a clue that the Jewish calendar, which we discussed yesterday, has a Rosh Hashanah, or that said New Year's is a holiday of great significance. It will take about half the tractate to get to that. The opening Mishnah states that there are four New Year's in the year, and the dates and reasons seem quite banal. The first of Nisan, which the Torah calls the first month, is the new year for Lamlachim Ularagalim, for kings and festivals. The first of Elul, in mid or late summer, is for the tithing of cattle. Two rabbis offer another date, but we don't need to go into that here. The third is the first of Tishrei, for several things, including the years, for Shemitah, which means letting the land lie fallow and rest every seven years, which, by the way, will happen this coming September, and in Eretz Yisrael is still operative Jewish law also for the age of fruit trees and the tithes of vegetables. And the fourth new year uh, is the one of the trees for the tithing of fruit. And there's a machlok at a disagreement about its date. Uh, Beit Shammai says it should be on the 1st of Shvat, and Beit Hillel says it should be on the 15th, Chamisha Osir B'Shvat, which of course is the date we use. In sum, we see that these four new years reflect administrative needs so that we can know dates and ages, or to help collect taxes, such as tithes, so we know to which tax year a given type of produce, be it grain, fruits, vegetables, or cattle, belong. It reminds us of the various New Year's we have for the fiscal year, the baseball season, the school year, the tax year, or whatever. None of these has any particular or uh, ritual, particular ritual or spiritual significance, and none of them has the status as the New Year. The first two pages of the Gemara dwell on the one word, Lam Lachim. What's the Mishnah mean when it says the first of Nisan is the new year for kings? The answer the Gemara gives is that this is the way we count years for dating legal documents. In those days, they did not count the way we do, 2014 by the Gregorian or secular calendar or 5774 by the Hebrew calendar. They counted the years by the reign of the kings, and each year of the each year of the king began on the 1st of Nisan. So even if a king assumed office late in the month of Adar, only a few days or weeks before Nisan, when the 1st of Nisan came in, it would be year two of that king's reign. Interesting. Uh, England uses a different system for regnal years. They are calculated from the official date, the day, month, and year, of a monarch's accession and end when the monarch dies, abdicates, or is disposed, was deposed, sorry, whether the full year has run its course or not. 
On Daf 3, our page, Rav Chista, a Babylonian Amora of the late 3rd century, says, The rule that the New Year for Kings is one Nisan is only meant to apply to the kings of Israel. But for non-Jewish kings, the years are reckoned by uh, Tishrei. The Talmud explains this by showing that the verses in the Tanakh show the years of the non, that the years of the non-Jewish kings are or can be reckoned from Tishrei. On a humorous note, the Talmud uh, mentions that for the Persian king Cyrus, Xerxes, who allowed the Jews from the Babylonian exile to return to Eretz Israel and Jerusalem, the verses also allow dating him from Nisan, the month Rav Chista said was for Jewish kings. Rabbi Abahu solves the problem by saying, Cyrus was a good king. He was almost one of us. But there is much deeper meaning to be found here. Rav Chizda is hinting at a theme which we can find elsewhere in Tractate Rosh Hashanah, that Rabbinic Judaism, after the Churban, the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 of the Common Era, is uh, we are looking at the world much more broadly, perhaps more so than anyone before. The world is not only the bubble that we, the Jewish people, or that any other people live in. We carry two identities, as members of the Jewish people and as members of humanity. And a concomitant of this is that our God is not only the God of the Jewish people, our God is creator of the world, of all creatures and peoples therein. Now this has direct implications. Pesach is seen as the birthday of the Jewish people, and thus Nisan is the appropriate date to je- appropriate date uh, from which to count uh, the reigns of Jewish, Jewish monarchs. Tishrei celebrates the creation of the world, of humanity. Rosh Hashanah, as it developed in rabbinical thought, is a Jewish holiday celebrating the universal. Hayom harata olam, we say in the Rosh Hashanah liturgy. Today is the birthday of the world. Thus, the second Mishnah of the first parak states that on Rosh Hashanah, all God's creatures pass before him in judgment. Rosh Hashanah has become a day of judgment, and not just for the Jewish people, but for all mankind. Thus, not only do we use the dates of foreign kings to show respect and preserve good relations with them, as the Talmud explains, Judaism sees God's law applying to them as well. The non-Jewish world in Jewish religious thought is subject to God's sovereignty too, and specifically is bound by what are known as the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach, the seven laws of Noah a set of moral imperatives that are a minimum to enable civil society. The prohibitions of idolatry, murder, theft, sexual immorality, blasphemy, and taking flesh from a living animal, and the positive duty to establish courts of justice, these are necessary for any society to survive. Of course, there's an important flip side to this. According to the Talmud and Monides, the righteous people of all nations, Jews and non-Jews alike, have a place in Olam Haba, the world uh, to come, uh, for the non-Jews if they live according to the seven uh, commandments of Noah. We see this idea in the custom of not saying a full Hallel, psalms of praise and thanks to God on the last day of Pesach, when we thank God for the miracle of the parting of the Sea of Reeds, which saved the Bnei Yisrael from Pharaoh's army, which was in pursuit. The Midrash tells us that God scolded the Israelites for being too joyful, My creatures, meaning the Egyptians, he said, are drowning, and you are rejoicing in song. A universal view of God, the world, and humanity is part of the revolution that Judaism brought to the world, and it is well reflected in Rosh Hashanah, both the tractate and the holiday.
I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.